Hello and uh, a very good afternoon uh, from London. A very warm welcome to all our global audience. I understand there are some 150 of you joining us from uh, around the world. Um, it's a very exciting uh, stream we've got for you today. Um, great conversations uh, planned and a fantastic uh, duo of a panel that has joined us uh, this afternoon as well. Afternoon London time, um, of course. So very quickly, just to introduce myself, I am Lequesa Burak. Um, I'm a news anchor, currently work for BBC News and BBC World News, also worked uh, for Sky News and Al Jazeera, and sometime also working um, in Africa, in South Africa at uh, ENCA. So Africa is very close to my heart. Um, obviously, I was born there, and um, a lot of issues, particularly at the moment with the pandemic, are ones that I'm following very closely, uh, shall we say. So today we're talking about innovation in the context of um, economic recovery. Uh, around post and during uh, the COVID-19 crisis. We know the pandemic is still going on, but it's never too early to plan. And of course, this variant is not going away. So people have to uh, start planning to look after their economies and, and recover. So why is innovation important? And what do we actually mean by innovation? Well, the approach today is going to be fairly broad. Um, we've got two guests who I, be, I will be introducing uh, shortly. We're not just talking about new to the world innovation. Sometimes it's doing things differently uh, that matters. And I think doing things differently with resources that you have is often one of the best approaches uh, that you can look at. And it helps you to build that better as well. So we'll be hearing more of this uh, from our speakers uh, shortly. Just to let you know um, that today's event is supported by the DEGRP, which, if you don't know, is the Development and Economic Growth Research Programme. It's funded by the British Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office and also the Economic and Social Research Council. So there's a lot of world class research that these bodies uh, undertake, uh, emphasis on inclusive economic growth, particularly in low income countries and it's these countries that are really bearing the brunt of um, recovering somehow with a pandemic that is still raging on. Now since its inception some 10 years ago the DEGRP has generated policy relevant research in four key areas. So we're talking about the financial sector, um, agriculture, China's engagement in sub-Saharan African countries, and finally, um, innovation. And you know that China's engagement in sub-Saharan African countries and Africa in general um, is very much um, very on vogue at the moment because it was, of course, brought up at the G7. So really uh, cutting edge research that's been done at the moment. Now, the programme actually ends in September. So it is with an absolutely huge pleasure to be uh, hosting one of its uh, final events. I'm really excited to hear what's going to take place and what's been found, the research that's been going on. So before we begin today's session, um, I'd like to encourage a lot of exchange between all of you that are joining us uh, today. We've got a fantastic audience around the world, so a sharing of ideas would be great and I think key. 
um, and also sharing those ideas and the questions with our panelists. So to do that, you'll know that there is a, a Slido box, a, a comment box uh, below the live stream. If you could just send your comments or your questions, if you'd like to direct a question to a particular panelist, then please put that in brackets or denote it somehow. And we will get those questions time allowing uh, to our panelists in our Q&A segment. We're also on Twitter. So um, if you'd like to share and uh, put some of your comments, only good ones, of course, <laughs> um, then do tag us on Twitter, uh, tag ODI and uh, DEGRP in your tweets. Uh, and we'll be pasting the handles, uh, hopefully shortly in the slider box if they're not there already. So those are the introductions of what's going on today. Let's get on with the most important things and um, let's get on with the chat. And I'm going to introduce our first, first uh, panelist. And uh, this is very exciting because there is a book out, which I'll tell you about shortly, which you must get your hands on. Um, it's by Professor Sholan Fu, and she is our first panelist today. She's also the founding director of the Technology and Management Center for Development and Professor of Technology and International Development at Oxford University. We are so lucky to have you with us today. So thank you very much. Um, Professor Fu has been a consultant for many, many international um, development and multilateral uh, organizations. All you have to do is Google her and it will just chuck it all out. I was overwhelmed <laughs> when I did my research. Um, she was appointed by the Security General of the United Nations to a high level advisory group of the UN Technology Facilitation Mechanism. And she's also a member of the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network Leadership Council. All these bodies, I'm sure the fact that you're joining us today, you are probably more than aware of and also uh, Council for the for Global Economic Transformation. Um, an admirable research record is all I'm gonna say. So much work has been published prolifically, if I might add. Um, some of the books and publications you should perhaps dig up. Uh, the Rise of the Technological Power in the South, China's Role in Global Economic Recovery, China's Path to Innovation, and her latest title, which has received much acclaim, is Innovation Under the Radar, which basically has inspired our webinar today. So Professor Fu, again, thank you very much for joining us. You obviously have an extensive knowledge on the subject of innovation and development. Um, I'd like, first of all, for you to start off by telling us some of the key findings from the research that is presented in your book. Kind uh, introduction. And uh, many thanks to my colleagues at DGRP and uh, ODI for organizing the webinar today. Uh, exactly as Lucrecia has mentioned, this book uh, is an outcome of about 10 years work uh, on innovation in Africa and other low-income countries and uh, started from a project uh, um, uh, funded by the DGRP and also the collaboration with colleagues at ODI with, with Dirk. So what we find, what are the main findings from this uh, research? First is that businesses in Africa and other low-income countries are innovative. 
this is a very impressive um a very impressive finding that uh, what I have found when I went to Africa, I started first time is about 10 years ago, uh, or landed the, uh, on the land and they touched the land and they talked to the people and they look at the, the, the dynamics and the business there. And uh, some people thought there is little innovation in Africa and uh, actually that is wrong. Um, African business are innovative, but Given the resources and the skills constraints, the innovations that are taking place are mostly under the radar innovation, created through learning, um, creati creativity, individual creativity, and entrepreneurship, and also indigenous no ari uh, arise from indigenous knowledge system, instead of heavy investment in R&D in the labs. So these are the type of uh, innovation taking place in Africa. They kind of a bit quiet, not in the lab, but they are happening in, uh, across the continent. They're mostly pulled by market demand uh, uh, side factors uh, through customers' requirement and driven by the pressure of, to survive. So I, I still remember a women entrepreneur told me, I innovate to survive. And compared to the innovations uh, in the East or Southeast Asia, um, there, we found some differences, you know, about innovation in the low-income countries in Africa in comparison to those in the Southeast Asia. The role, first is the role of the state and the innovation diffusion effect of the foreign direct investment are weaker in the African countries um, uh, in comparison uh, with that uh, in the Southeast Asia or in the East Asian economies. Of course, there are some, uh, a, a few exceptions like the case of Ethiopia, uh, but um, in many of the uh, uh, countries that I have studied, um, in comparison from the cases of Southeast Asia, uh, especially the East Asian economies like Japan and Korea and Singapore, uh, of course, China. Um, the role played by the multinationals and the role played by the by the state are weaker. Secondly, is the participation in global value chain is significantly lower, which hinders the knowledge transfer and the industrial uh, upgrading. What we have seen in Africa is more participation in the regional value chain, serving the African continent and also serving a national uh, market. And uh, so this is the main uh, mode of value chain that we observed in Africa, but it is very important and useful. We found that this kind of regional value chain are critical for the, uh, for the industrial diversification and the quality improvement uh, in African firms. Thirdly is university and industry linkages are weaker in Africa in comparison uh, uh, to those we observed in, in East Asia. So these are the differences if we compare uh, the under the radar innovation to those what happening in East Asia or Southeast Asia. And with this under the radar innovation, firms can survive. However, in the current wave of the fourth industrial revolution, Africa will not be able to leapfrog 
the innovation gap only based on this under the radar innovation. This is on the one side. On the other side, what we have seen is that this under the radar innovation, if empowered by the digital technology, then they will be able to offer opportunities for leapfrogging. This is as what we have seen, uh, like Mpesa uh, in Kenya, a lot of platforms in Africa now, and also even in other in South Asia, like Bcash in Bangladesh. So this under the radar innovation also have the potential if empowered by a infra digital infrastructure, then it will uh, provide um, a realistic ladder and a realistic opportunity for leapfrogging for the African countries. Therefore, policies, um, policies and international policy support and international collaboration are very important and needed for the African countries to move the innovation from under the radar to under radar. Um, three types of in, uh, policies. First is strengthen Africa's digital infrastructure and the competencies. Secondly, enhance Africa's scientific and technological capability to create more under-radar innovation and allow the countries to be in more um, uh, uh, with great capability to make creative adaptation of this digital technology empowered under the radar innovation. And finally, specific policy recommendations also need to be introduced to address the, 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 the differences that I mentioned uh, when I compare uh, African innovation and uh, innovation in East Asia. First is strengthen the role of uh, the state, use more innovation policy and industrial policy. And uh, secondly, is to uh, um, uh, encourage more, uh, encourage more value chain uh, participation, a regional value chain and a, a global value chain to faci fa facilitate knowledge, uh, knowledge transfer. And also introduce policies to incentivize, facilitate, and support the university and the industry linkage. And uh, uh, encourage the universities to play more important role, to collaborate with in, in African business to create more innovation for African continent. So that's uh, the main findings and the policy implications uh, from the book. Professor Fu, thank you very much for that. Um, so many questions have come up in my mind, and it may well um, may well be a question that some of our audience are thinking. Remember to put those in the in the in the Slido box, please, and they will be passed on to me for the Q and A. So get those questions in. Um, I would like to just pick up on what you've just been saying, but also linking it back to the title of your book. Why are the innovations described as being under the radar and I wonder I mean you mentioned you mentioned Kenya um, you mentioned Ethiopia for example and a couple of East Asian countries what's the difference why are some under the radar and some not I'd love to hear some actual examples uh, thank you uh, Lucresa under the radar innovation refers to the innovation that cannot be captured by the traditional innovation indicators such as R&D investment, number of patents, number of scientific publications. If we measure uh, innovation by these traditional indicators, many of the developing countries, especially the low-income countries, the African countries, 
will have very little this type of innovation. Like Africa only accounted for less than 1% of the world's total uh, uh, innovation in terms of uh, patents or, or publications or R&D investment. So some people conclude that there's little innovation in Africa, but that is wrong. This is, uh, 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 this is the same misunderstanding related to what happened in China. When people say there's no innovation in China in the first 30 years um, um, uh, since the reforms in 1978, and the question is why China can grow fast without the innovation. Actually, there are innovation there, just cannot captured by the traditional uh, uh, um, uh, indicator. Um, so, this under the radar innovation, there are kind of come from three streams. One is they are they can come from uh, um, their learning based entrepreneurship driven, individual uh, creativity based, or they are created by on the basis of individual uh, indigenous innovation. Some are locally grown innovation. For example, like a, a local built. Uh, wood framed kind of sanitizer and the hand wash equipment that I saw on, on the social media in, um, in Africa. And also a new chili type, a new kind of chili sauce made in Ghana. Or a cooking stone made from the, the old kind of car wheel that we also found um, in Africa in our case studies. That's kind of uh, indigenous, purely come from an uh, indigenous source. And some are transfer, transferred from foreign countries, but the local firms kind of, learn, uh, kind of acquired it through learning. So for example, many of the new to the country and the new to the firm, new products or new production methods, um, like in the pandemic, we see robots in the hospitals in Rwanda. We see drones deliver uh, 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 medicines uh, in Africa, also some electrical sewing machine in Ethiopia, in Nigeria, uh, in Ghana, when I, you know, uh, uh, found in, um, uh, during my field work, or solar grid, solar grid in Kenya, uh, or, you know, in Bangladesh, or tractors in Africa. These are kind of foreign transferred knowledge and the local business uh, adapted, adopted adopt it and make some adaptations, adaptations. But there's no R&D, no publication, no patent, but they are new to the country, new to the firm. And finally, there is also a combination of foreign and the local uh, knowledge and efforts, uh, which especially some creative local applications of foreign technology. For example, like, you know, the mobile banking uh, um, Mpesa in Kenya and the, and the many digital uh, um, technology-empowered applications, you know, in Africa, in South Asia, in Latin America, uh, in the Caribbean, like the gig economy uh, platforms, uh, all Bcash in, in Bangladesh, etc. There's no patent, no publication, but new uh, creative applications that fit, meet the local needs and fit the local context. So that's why uh, we call, um, call it uh, under the radar innovation. Unmute myself. <laughs> Before we move on to the next section of the chat, um, just a very quick follow-up. You mentioned the regional value chain. Um, you know, there are over 50 countries on the continent of Africa. How is the, uh, the African free 
the Continental Trade Agreement, how can that facilitate with innovation and strengthening those uh, regional value chains? Yeah, I think this uh, regional integration arrangement agreements uh, in East Africa, in West Africa, and I think they are very important uh, to force these regional value chains and uh, become a very important step, uh, a ladder for the industrial upgrading for uh, African business. Um, our research in West Africa found that um, most of the, 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 the local firms uh, who participate in value chain, they are uh, participating in the regional value chain, serving either the, 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 the Western African market, um, not only their own country, but their, uh, their uh, um, regional market, and also um, those happened in East Africa or South African uh, um, um, countries. And sometimes the production of one product they are produced, you know, uh, different components and the materials are produced in different countries in West Africa. And a leading firm kind of organized all the, the, the components and materials um, uh, suppliers to, to produce it, and they finally assemble it. And uh, what we found is that more than half of the firms uh, uh, told us they are able to produce something that they that one firm would otherwise not be able to produce. So they are okay. something new um, by collaborating through this value chain. Okay, uh, sorry for interrupting. <laughs> we, we've only got an hour. Um, you've got so many fantastic examples. Now, before we, we move on to our next panelist, thank you, Professor Fu. Um, for those of you who we're aware we were we were meant to have three panelists, but unfortunately, um, Dr. Akebe has had to pull out at the very last minute. He sends his apologies. Um, he's had one of those meetings that could not be moved um, because it was uh, related to his candidacy for Director General at uh, UNIDO. So a lot of disappointment, particularly on our part, but we fully understand. Um, but we have, as you can tell, so much to discuss already uh, with the panelists that we have. So let us move on um, to our next panelist. And I'm sure for those of you who follow the ODI uh, webinars, you will be very familiar uh, with the next uh, gentleman, the next uh, face. Uh, this is Dr. Dirk. Uh, Willem Teveld and Dirk, as he asked to be called, <laughs> um, is the director of the International Economic Development Group at the ODI. He's also the director um, of the Supporting Economic Transformation Initiative and a research leader for innovation in the Development and Economic Growth Research Programme extensive uh, expertise on the subjects of trade, investment, economic transformation. He's advised numerous governments and parliaments um, in Africa, in the Caribbean, in Asia, as well as uh, numerous donor agencies as well, such as the FCDO and the European Commission, the UN, the World Bank. Um, so all these topics, um, Dirk is the man to go to. Uh, so we're going to hear uh, from Dirk now. And, and Dirk, obviously we're talking about innovation here. What have you personally seen that's impressed you on the African continent? We've heard about, um, as Professor Fu just said, I have to um, innovate to survive. If I don't innovate, I won't survive. What have you witnessed that impressed you? 
Well, thank you very much, Lupesa, and um, thank you also, Shaolan, for the, the excellent um, uh, introduction and also for putting the spotlight on uh, innovation. Um, innovation is so important, as Lupesa uh, highlighted in her introduction, because we don't want just more of the same. Uh, more of the same is not enough uh, for, in the current world. We want it to be a more transformative world. Uh, we want it to be uh, a more inclusive world, and we want it to be a more uh, sustainable world. Um, so, in, what I think I would highlight is to sort of answer your question, uh, Lupesa, about sort of patterns of innovation, um, and uh, and highlight some some issues there. Um, in terms of innovation patterns, um, you can think about it in terms of inputs uh, and outputs. So, the inputs uh, are the measured inputs like research and development um, patterns and so on. And as uh, Shaolan was already mentioning, uh, there there isn't that much on in low-income countries um, that is sort of measured, that is that is above the radar screen or in the, in the side of the radar radars. Um, there is much more uh, going on below the, the 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 radar screen. You can also look at it in terms of outcomes uh, of innovation, and what we've done in our program, uh, the, the DGRP program, is to think about innovation um, and the outcome of innovation in terms of productivity change. And you can look at it in productivity in terms of moving from a low productivity to a high productivity sector, from agriculture to manufacturing, for example, or from uh, low productivity to high productivity firms. Um, and also some um, within a firm, you can also become more productive. And what uh, research in the program has found that it's pretty important to uh, industrialize um, in low income country settings because that will help you to move resources from low productivity sectors to higher productivity sectors. And the first type of research has actually shown that that isn't happening. Uh, it, the reverse is happening. And we saw sort of premature deindustrialization. But the latest information um, that's become available, including by DGP researchers, show a slightly more positive picture. And that uh, shows that if you take into account the informal sector, uh, th those, uh, those parts of the economy that you don't really measure that much and that easily, um, you can actually show that quite a lot of people are increasingly taking part in the manufacturing sector and that the manufacturing sector is actually doing better than uh, than initial research was suggesting, particularly in, in the African continent. Having said that, um, uh, and it's slightly positive, I'm also slightly uh, pessimistic around innovation in the sense that there is innovation going on. Uh, and it's keeping its pace, and and there's increase in digital technology in, uh, in African countries, uh, particularly during the during the uh, the pandemic. Of course, in the last year, you can see that in indicators that that pace of innovation uh, innovation in digital technology is going at a much slower rate uh, than in in some of the other uh, countries in the Asian countries. And I was glad also that Sharon also was able to bring that 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 up that comparison. And that, if you if you project that forward, you might still get an uh, uh, uneven development. You might still get um, sort of a, a digital divide. And in addition, uh, what we see now is that low-income countries, including African countries, have have not been able to respond to the crisis that much. They have not been able uh, to um, uh, to um, uh, to have a high fiscal stimulus. Um, and they also have low access to uh, to vaccines, so the recovery for them will take much longer, years longer than in in the, in the richer countries. Uh, and so, um, if you think about business as usual now, if you project it forwards, I'm 
pessimistic. Uh, and so we need to be thinking much more about a, an active approach uh, to to get innov more innovation going than otherwise would have been the case. And I read uh, Sharon Fu's book uh, with great interest, and I followed her research over the last decade, and it's really excellent research. You should really look into that. And she suggests things like, think about innovation systems, uh, national innovation systems, and open innovation systems, where you need to bring together national efforts with an embracing of globalization, trade, and investment. And I think that is fine. I would say you need to do much more. Um, you need to be thinking more about a targeted uh, uh, process of innovation. You need to make choices. That is about leadership um, and it's about making choices. Um, and here it is around uh, industrial policies. I think Sharon mentioned that. It's about an, a proactive, active digital uh, policy. It is also thinking about all the other elements that are there. Think about macro policies. Um, uh, we're doing some research at the moment with IDRC that talks about uh, the importance of, of monetary policies, fiscal policies, and trade policies. Well, they are also very important. Um, they're important. They are not, for example, gender neutral. Uh, and we see that the pandemic has hit women the hardest. They have hit the young and the informal workers and the women workers the hardest. If we want to be thinking about a new type of recovery, uh, a, a better recovery, uh, one that innov puts innovation at, uh, at, uh, at the forefront, we also need to be thinking about how innovation can be, can be stimulated, that is, uh, um, proactively thinking about a more inclusive world, that inclusive of women, that thinks about uh, addressing climate change and a greener technology, and, and for that, monetary policies, liquidity, availability, fiscal stimulus packages, they can be directed. Trade policies can also be supportive of uh, the evolution of green technology, for example, or uh, highlighting sectors that are particularly um, helpful for, for women workers. And so um, there's a lot of policies that need to be brought together um, uh, and um, in an active way. There's macro policies, there's digital policies, um, uh, uh, and we need to see a more active approach towards it. Otherwise, we see some improvement, but not the improvement that we need to see to, to really go to a better world and where the digital divide is being, um, is being, um, uh, uh, being closed. Dirk, thank you very much for that. Um, I'm going to put a question to both of you. Uh, Dirk, I'll start off with you, seeing as you're in the flow, and I'll put the same question to Sholan. Uh, if what would be the first policy or action that you would take to put everything you've discussed into place if you were looking at one of the 50-52 countries on the African continent, what is the first action that you would instigate? Because a lot of this is, yes, that is a wonderful big idea. A lot of people on the continent would know, yes, we, we have to innovate to, to, to survive. And we understand the fiscal ideas. We understand the political will, the need for political will. But to action your ideas, what is the first thing that a government needs to do? Yeah, well, that's um, that's the question that uh, um, we often asked, uh, are asked the question, what should we do on Monday morning? Um, what should we do, be doing differently to actually make it all happen? And you're absolutely right there. And um, I followed an, an economy like um, Nigeria for quite some time. And there you think, well, an oil price collapse will make them change things uh, and do things differently and change the economy uh, so that they can transform the economy so they're less um, uh, uh, vulnerable to, to the next oil price shock. Um, but it doesn't happen there and, and uh, often. And, and there are some very targeted areas where 
there, there, there is um, uh, a lot of innovation going on. Um, um, but countrywide, the incentives aren't there to bring together and to coordinate um, uh, and to really think about um, uh, innovation in a, in, a, in a broad sense. It's a pity that Dr. Arkeba uh, isn't here. He would be uh, a year ago when the, the, the pandemic hit. Uh, we were on the phone the whole time with a range of, of actors, the, uh, some private sector actors in industrial parks. Um, uh, there, there, were, there were various agencies uh, thinking about how you can retool um, manufacturing firms that are not just were doing garments firms into PPE producers, for example. And that, that requires leadership. It requires somebody on the top to sort of say, uh, with a vision, to say, we need to actively uh, address certain issues. We need to uh, change our way of producing things. We need to have a different product, and that, and we need to coordinate. We need to make sure that we produce against uh, certain standards. We need to import knowledge here. We need to get uh, 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 Ethiopian Airlines to uh, to transport their PPE products. Uh, we need to import uh, the right quality, and that requires coordination. So, what I would say is just uh, empower um, those leaders that have visions. Uh, and can bring together and if uh, i mean we're linked uh, often in forming also donor policies if we can have one policy um a uh, su uh, suggestion to donors is to sort of provide uh, the space for leaders um that are have fantastic ideas that want to bring actors together to um, to change things to change production processes um uh, and to, to give them the space to do that and the resources as well to implement industrial policy strategies. Um, so that's sort of what I would say, number one. And from that, if you've got a vision, the rest will follow. The, the resources may follow. The macro policies should be coming into place. Um, uh, you think about your trade policies uh, and it's, it's just stepping behind those, those, those individuals, um, those uh, institutions um, that are there. Um, that are capable of doing it. That's what I would say. Thank you. Thank you, Dirk. Uh, and, and very quickly, your answer to this, before we come to questions from the audience, they are coming in thick and fast. So, Professor Fu, your answer to that same question quickly. My question, actually, uh, last month, uh, oh, oh, you need to organize a high-level oh, consultation meeting. And uh, I made one proposal, is to, um, to introduce a special global industrial policy for digital infrastructure and uh, uh, competencies. So if for me, the top one is we need a, this is a, a digital infrastructure relates to the global. So we need a global industrial policy and make the digital sector as a special zone. It's not a geographic special zone, it's an industrial special zone. And uh, need industrial policy, global collaboration and uh, uh, active role, proactive role of the state and the international organizations to strengthen the uh, digital infrastructure. I think this is an opportunity window for Africa and for many developing countries. We need to get this infrastructure and the competence built. And the creativity of the local firms, you see, when they are on it, they will fly. Professor, I love your passion. It's fantastic. It's amazing. When I ask you both, what's the first thing? The passion that came out of both of you, <laughs> Dirk and Sholan, uh, uh, was, was wonderful to witness. Um, before we come to our questions, I just want to point our audience to a, a poll that we are running. So you've heard some key words there already. Um, you've just heard from uh, Dr. Fu, digitalization, infrastructure. You heard much the same um, from, from Dirk as well. So 
from your point of view, uh, we are asking you in which area should innovation happen in African countries to support their post-pandemic economic recovery? Is it digitalization? Is it the green economy? Is there a place for it when we're just coming out of a crisis? Is it the right time to focus on being green? Does the climate crisis, you know, um, is that the top priority? How does that fit in with recovering from the pandemic? Also, manage manufacturing for health. We've all heard about South Africa having the capability to produce the vaccine, but not being given the license. So is that important? Um, energy, for example, you know, should the blackouts come to an end in, in your country? If you're if you're with us in, in Africa, is that your priority? What is going on with the energy infrastructure? Should we be looking at uh, at alternatives, green alternatives? Why aren't they viable sometimes? Why isn't there solar everywhere? Um, and again, infrastructure. And if, if you click on the other button, we would love to know what your other priority is uh, when it comes to innovation and supporting African com uh, countries coming out of a post-pandemic recovery. So that is the poll please um, click on the option. We need to hear from you and uh, we'll take those, those, those answers forward. All right, let's go to our Q&A. Um, as I said before, Q&A, your questions, if you want to target it to Dirk or to Professor Fu expressly, then just, just let us know. Um, it's in the Slido bar and then we'll pass them on. So our first question uh, comes from uh, BJ Kumar. Uh, Professor Fu, BJ Kumar is the executive director of the Global Network of Civil Society Organizations for Disaster Reduction. And they're asking, on Africa's participation in global supply chains, how does it relate to patent rights and confronting the acceptance of Africa as a market by the rich? Fantastic question. Professor Fu, take it away. This is a very important question. Um, I have two points uh, on, on this. First is uh, intellectual property now play an uh, increasingly more important role uh, in the global economy, in, in economic growth. And also it is the most uh, uh, capable factor to capture the value added. So like the WIPO, World Intellectual Property Organization, find out in, in a global value chain, this in, uh, intangibles, the intellectual properties, capture most of the value added, then physical capital and then uh, per unit labor. So uh, um, now, however, this intellectual properties and other types of intangibles are mostly kind of owned uh, by the multinationals the rich peoples or those with the uh, uh, with the, the, the high skills. So as a result, the income distribution is increasingly uneven, highly increasingly concentrated to those who own these intangibles and also along the value chain to those kind of companies, organizations who own it. And in, in addition, they take the control it's not only income get more, they, they have this controlship of the, in, the, in terms of governance. So that is second. The third is about uh, this IP control will prevent others from entering, prevent others from upgrading. So this is a very important issue we need to, to negotiate uh, and look at this. And uh, 
And the, my argument is that we have to look at by sector and by country. For the low-income countries, for, for the uh, African countries, um, we need to think about uh, exemption or different royalty rate. And also by sector, like the sectors relate to food, to, to uh, uh, medicines, to those relate to people's basic life needs. And also we need special policies to uh, facilitate the transfer of uh, intellectual property rights and also to support uh, the developing countries to get access and build their own capabilities. So for the vaccine, I have made a proposal I sent to some of the international organizations and also now it's under review with the journal. Is the vaccine, um, um, in terms of vaccine, IP is not the key. There are a lot of other um, tacit knowledge around uh, the whole capability to produce a vaccine. And therefore, we need to encourage and engage these, uh, those um, multinationals um, or organizations like to... We've yeah. got a... Yes, please. Look, Vesa, can you hear? So vaccine, uh, well, I just finished. We need to engage uh, and, uh, and encourage the multinationals to collaborate with the developing countries through using foreign direct investment, like joint ventures, to share the knowledge and share the tacit uh, knowledge and IP and, uh, and uh, uh, enable the developing countries to be able to produce vaccine across the globe in a kind of regional hub. <clears throat> Um, okay, I I think I've just had the um, the message that unfortunately Loquesa's connection has dropped. Um, let me um, um, sort of uh, uh, take 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 over um, um, as well, and and maybe just answer one of the questions that has just come through, uh, and perhaps you can also answer that, Charon. Um, but I thought your answer already addressed part of it. So one of the questions was. Um, uh, what is the role uh, for technology transfer to reduce the innovation gap between Africa and the rest of the world? Um, and that's an excellent question. And I think um, uh, your research highlights that. Um, I would also argue that it's really important to um, uh, uh, to uh, import um, uh, uh, sort of knowledge uh, knowledge through uh, te technology um, and um, so through through foreign direct investment and so on. But it's also very important that. Um, that you actually uh, build up um, uh, domestic uh, uh, capabilities. Um, and perhaps um, to sort of uh, uh, give one example, and uh, it's great that Lupessa is back, um, one, one uh, issue to highlight here is, is, for example, technology transfer in the energy sector. Um, so think about um, going more towards a more green recovery. And uh, there are different uh, ways of thinking about this. Um, first of all, um, some would say um, the, the finance is there, um, so um, um, there, there's lots of uh, finance slashing around in richer countries and so on. Uh, there's available at low cost. Um, uh, it just needs the good projects. Uh, but then some others say the, the, the projects aren't there, so we need to work on the on the project pipeline. Uh, the project pipeline, so the, the projects need to be uh, 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 needs to be improved. Um, the projects need to be projects need to be um, uh, profitable energy uh, saving uh, or energy pr uh, producing um, uh, pro uh, projects uh, need to be uh, profitable 
And in order to do that, you sometimes need to uh, go regionally. And that's, for example, where some would say uh, you need to um, have a more um, uh, regional approach to, uh, to energy projects. And if you bring that together, um, if you think through bringing together, on the one hand, the, fi the financiers that are, that are, that are there. Um, and on the other hand, the, um, the, uh, those that build the projects in the country that builds up a pipeline of, of energy uh, producing projects. And then there, there's those policymakers that can make those projects profitable and operational with good management uh, business plans and so on. If you bring that together, you can then channel the finance that is, that, that is available with the projects um, uh, towards a green recovery. And so and that will also foster technology transfer, which was one of the questions um, that was being posed. Maybe let me hand back now to Loquetta. Thank you, Dr. Dirk. Thank you very much. Oh, technology, hey. Um, okay, we've got another question. Um, who innovates and for whom? Is there a mechanism, investment, or is there proactive engagement to facilitate the process, enabling the lived-in experience to lead? Um, this is very similar to what you said um, earlier, uh, Sholan, about um, it's it's what people are doing already. They are innovating, and like your book says, it's below the radar. Uh, so um, in in Africa, uh, many of the firms are innovating to as a response uh, to the either customers' needs or the competition pressure, or driven by some uh, entrepreneurship. Um, um, so. These are the, 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 the innovation taking place uh, in Africa. Um, however, we need to add more innovators into the innovation system. We need to bring the universities, local universities there more actively uh, to, to jointly working with industry rather than living in the ivory tower and uh, uh, kind of form joint forces to serve economic development. This is one of the major change in the 80s, 1980s in China. Uh, the first step of the uh, uh, science and technology system reform is that change from the previous kind of uh, oriented to defense or to, to you know, pure research to serve economic development. I think that, that's uh, very important. We also need to bring the multinationals to play a more important role uh, in African economic system. They have not fulfilled their potential and delivered the promise that they can. Of course, the, the problem may come from the two sides. Uh, and the, the government policy needs to be more uh, assertive in terms of knowledge uh, transfer. Of course, now we introduce a new term, forced technology transfer. But for developing countries, they want to learn. They open up their market and they would like to learn from, from others. And uh, so, um, and also in terms of building capabilities, the developing countries also need to build up the absorptive capacity so that they can learn effectively. And thirdly, is multinationals need to be more uh, proactive to share the knowledge and international uh, regulations like IPR uh, rules and also WTO's rules. All these need uh, ref targeted to support uh, African countries and other developing countries. So to have more players, more innovators. Okay, there are two questions, follow-up questions I'm going to ask there. Um, first to you, Dirk. Um, uh, Sholan mentioned an organization, the WTO, for example. Is it fit for purpose in today's world? 
in terms of what we are trying to achieve? That's a very good question. Um, and uh, of course, in the current context, um, there, there isn't, uh, there hasn't been that much progress being, being made uh, at a WTO. Of course, if it does, um, if it did uh, come to a uh, successful Doha round in 2008, um, when a package was on, uh, on the table, uh, it would have been good uh, both for uh, richer countries, but also for the poorer countries, actually. And uh, not all countries would have benefit to the same, to the same extent. Um, but there was something that that worked. I think there's now, of course, quite a lot of changes that are happening, and um, uh, issues like um, e-commerce and digital trade need to be need to be addressed. But I think uh, progress has been slow, and um, so some progress is being made at, uh, in plurilaterals that sometimes don't include the uh, the poorest countries. So on e-commerce, for example, there is a plurilateral discussion going on, and it does include one or two uh, of the poorer countries, but uh, but not en masse. And, uh, and so that may only lead to a, a greater digital divide. Um, in that context, I would say the continental free trade area does have promise. Uh, the African continental free trade area does have promise. And um, so at ODI, we also have a, 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 a support program uh, for the continental free trade area. We have uh, advisors um, supporting advisors in the African Union uh, and in also uh, some continental uh, um, uh, bodies that are thinking about investment negotiations, um, that they are thinking about other types of negotiations that can help uh, to, to um, promote trade and investment amongst African countries and also with the rest of the world. And um, that can can lead to, to help them to transform their economies and also lead to to more innovation. And there's such great political dynamism uh, now around the content of free trade area. Um, it's just in the space of three, four years, four years, um, uh, there have been so many countries have uh, have signed up and ratified, um, uh, and it's now the content of free trade has now become operational. That it would be fantastic if uh, if if we can now move really to implementation. Um, and uh, that there's sort of positive spillovers between implementation and negotiation of, of further rules that can, uh, including on e-commerce, that can help um, African countries to, um, uh, to, uh, to trade and invest more amongst each other, whilst uh, other trading blocks uh, have, uh, have trade wars, and whilst there might not be that much progress. But don't give hope on the WTO either. I think it's still important, for example, to, um, uh, to reduce the agriculture subsidies in, in, in northern countries, that it's still important um, uh, to, to reduce their protection in that sense. Mm -hmm. So that's still important. So don't give up on that. But I would also say that in the meantime, you can go to WTO Plus. You can do much more at, at regional level, including in the continent of free trade area, which will be helpful for, for, uh, for innovation and uh, a high living standard. Uh, Dirk, thank you very much. So the second question I'm going to direct uh, back to yourself, uh, Sholan. You mentioned the role of multinationals and there wasn't enough engagement with helping to promote innovation. Why not? What, what, what did your research find? Why not? Uh, what I have found uh, is that um, the multinationals has not um, um, in generated, created enough linkages with the local uh, um, uh, economy. That is one of the main weakness area, weak area that it needs to address. Uh, of course, why limited linkages? Um, there is 
there are reasons on the uh, on on the capabilities, local capabilities, to to be able to produce the, the components that will fit uh, the, the the needs of the multinationals. But also there is also a, a kind of incentives uh, on the multinational side to really reach out to engage, um, not only uh, you know seeing the business with the, the local market as uh, you know as a source uh, as a center of profits. Rather than uh, rather than you know uh, as a, 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 a business without uh, benefits, that is one. And also the industry uh, distribution of the, the the multinationals. Most of the multinationals, especially from the West, are in the agriculture related, the kind of food processing or or kind of extractive industries. So very little uh, multinationals. Um, in the manufacturing sector. So it, some people will say, you know, Chinese multinational going to the sectors, other, others don't want to go. That's uh, Deborah Botingen in, in her book has made this argument. So Chinese multinationals went to the manufacturing sector, but we need more multinationals went to, uh, go to go to the manufacturing sector uh, in Africa to generate more linkages, because this is an industry that will have naturally uh, will have much more linkages with the local economy and the, the linkage with knowledge and technology intensity. So that's a very important uh, factors. And of course, government requirements and the industry policy to, to, to encourage this are also very important. Okay, uh, Shalan, thank you very much. We're, we're fast approaching our five minutes uh, window for final remarks from the panelists. So I think we've got time to fit one more question in. If you could both keep it quite succinct, uh, sort of uh, 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Do you think, is the question, do you think African countries can efficiently innovate without being more exposed to the manufacturing process of firms of advanced countries? Um, Dirk, if you could start off for us. Um, so in, 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 my, in my view, I think innovation is a, um, um, a process which, um, which coincides with a range of things, including more competition um, and uh, domestic uh, policies. And so um, ultimately, I don't think it is uh, really possible to uh, keep innovating um, uh, in a sustained way without um, being um, exposed to, to more competition, either through trade or through um, through investment. Um, uh, and Korea is is also is, is an example there that it, it, it was exposed in particular ways to competition, um, uh, not so much to investment initially. Later on, um, it's it's it, but it's the combination of those two things. So you need to be um, exposed to competition. You need to have sort of an open mindset, as it were, um, but you need to have a targeted. Uh, way of supporting that um, and just to highlight that that issue that Sharon mentioned was about spillovers um, from multinationals for example you can bring multinationals in but they will only ha really have a sustained impact on your domestic economy they will only lead to innovation in your domestic economy in the longer run um, if you are able to build up linkages and those linkages can lead to spillovers uh, of productivity and innovation spillovers and they're not uh, um, uh, without costs, true, and they take time, they take effort. So you need to uh, actively uh, embrace competition, 
globalization, but you need to do more than that. If you only embrace co uh, competition, um, then that's not enough. You may have a business as usual. You need to have a targeted uh, approach um, that, that, that does more than just uh, competition. Okay, we, we've run out of time. However, Dr. Fu, uh, we, we've come to our final remarks. If you'd like to address that question as part of your final remarks, um, please go ahead. Um, but before before we finish, I just want to say uh, one hour was not long enough. <laughs> there was so much. The questions were just coming out of my head. Um, but if we could just have our final remarks, please. And if you'd like to address that last question, then please feel free to. Uh, Sholan, first over to you as succinctly as you can, please. Uh, thank you, Look, Vesa. I want to link uh, the final question and my uh, final remarks. Uh, actually, I'm a believer and a supporter of openness. Uh, 20 years ago, before China joined the WTO, many people were saying the wolf is coming, Chinese business will be wiped out by the multinationals and the foreign companies. Uh, you, you see, that's, uh, that's uh, before the year 2000. And you see what China uh, uh, has. Uh, being today. Uh, so actually, open up, China benefits enormously uh, from the foreign exposure and the, and the competition and the knowledge spill over from this foreign engagement. Even during the trade war, you see the government still very firmly, most consistent message is higher level openness. So, um, so the same for Africa. I also uh, believe that Africa will benefit from uh, openness and uh, you know integrating into the global economy through trade and the foreign direct investment and uh, before we we start so i had a chat with uh, uh, dirk we were talking about my research uh, on, on innovation in china the first 30 years innovation in china that i studied is more like innovation under the radar and then we see today the innovation i research then it's changing transforming it's more and more knowledge intensive and in terms of the mode is more modern and advanced and what we can see is that there is a transition and from this under the radar innovation to you know on on the radar innovation and also a combination coexist this under the radar and the under uh, uh, under radar innovations they complement each other of those on the radar innovation, this knowledge intensive one, they push the frontier, but we need a lot of diffusion and Professor, learning and adoption. Professor Fu, thank you so much. Dirk, you've got about 30 seconds for your <laughs> final takeaway, please. <laughs> okay, so my final takeaway is to say um, I am a bit more optimistic on the ability of particular uh, African countries to industrialize than perhaps some of the mainstream work from uh, Danny Roderick and, uh, uh, recently. I'm at the same time uh, still pessimistic about the current uh, position of low-income countries in the global economy. There might be a digital divide still there. The, the, it's still not inclusive enough. The vaccines uh, haven't reached uh, most of the poorest countries yet. Um, there still needs to be a more emphasis on the greener, greener economy. So therefore, I think we have an uphill struggle, struggle to do more than business as usual. We need to make sure that we do things differently. We need to innovate. Uh, and that is, um, as I hope you've now realized, an uphill struggle. It's not impossible, but it takes a lot of work. It, it, it's leadership. 
it is coordinating activities it's a range of policies that need to be put in place and um, it's really uh, really really important to uh, uh, to just work at it and never give up Dirk, thank you very much. Um, Sholan, thank you very much as well. We have run out of time, so I've got about 30 seconds. And what I'd really love to say is thank you for getting back to us on the poll. Your number one priority when it came to um, innovation was the green economy. So you cannot innovate without thinking green. Um, I think we need to get back to governments on that, don't we? Because I think the public and organizations um, are really pushing the agenda. So thank you very, very much uh, for that. Um, the, the answers amongst the, the other um, issues were fairly nicely spread, but green economy just pipped the others with 25%. Um, Thank you for joining us today um, for our look at innovation as a possible solution um, in a post-pandemic uh, crisis and during a, a pandemic, in fact. If you'd like to watch the event again, please head over to the ODI website. Um, that'll be uploaded over the coming days. Just give us time for that. Um, it'll also be on YouTube and share the content. And if you'd like us to look deeper into this, get in touch um, because this pandemic isn't over. Governments are learning, people are learning, research is ongoing. Um, so get in touch with us. Uh, but finally, we would like to thank the Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office and also the Economic and Social Research um, and the ODI for facilitating the dialogue. Thank you, it's been fascinating for me particularly, as well as the Development and Economic Growth Research Programme, which sadly comes to an end this year. Bad timing, I say, I think you need more budget. There's a lot of work to do. <laughs> uh, thank you everyone uh, for joining us, but especially thank you uh, to our panelists today, Dr. Sherlan, Professor Sherlan Fu and uh, Dr. Dirk Willem-Teveld. Thank you and have a lovely week.